0: all right friends we are in the midweeks and i missed a week sorry about that spring break kind of shut me down but that's okay we're back now now this is going to be an interesting uh, chapter this chapter is a very long psalm it's a very long song or poem set to music that david wrote and um you know i'm not an expert in Hebrew poetry. It's never really gripped me as much as the narrative stuff has. And so uh, you're, if you're really hungry for like profound insight today, you may be a little bit disappointed, but I wanna be thorough. And so we're gonna go through this whole chapter and I'll try to point out some stuff. Now I think that this uh, chapter is here to give us a taste of just a reminder because, sorry, a reminder of the life of David, the book of first and second Samuel, It really is about David and the establishment of the kingdom. How the first king was a man of mixed faith who fell into unbelief in the end of his life. And the second king is the king after God's own heart, who is this psalm writer who led Israel in battle, but also in worship. And so it's placed here as kind of a a balance and a memorial of the life of David and i think it balances hannah's song at the beginning of first samuel and she has this long song psalm about what god's going to do through the kingship um he's going to exalt the humble and stuff like this so this balances it the books like balance and so it balances we've got a psalm at the beginning and then we have a psalm at the end of the whole extended book and it gives us insight into uh david's thoughts and but it's a bit stylized as well or it's not stylized um some psalms have a real messianic sense to it meaning that the ultimate fulfillment of it really is in christ and not just david and you're going to feel that when we come to the section where david starts talking about how god's dealt with him according to his righteousness because there was a significant portion of time where david's being disciplined for his unrighteousness so he's not perfectly righteous but the true messiah the true son of david the true king of israel does fulfill this psalm in being the perfect man who comes and perfectly is rewarded for righteousness and is so righteous in fact he can be righteous for the sake of all the people of God who need righteousness but anyhow that'll come up but it's a long psalm so bear with me I may go quickly through this and just make comment in some parts. so 2 Samuel chapter 22, starting verse 1. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So you get a sense that this was written earlier on in the consolidated kingship. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. So here's the the title chorus of the song. It's uh, Psalm. It's about how God is everything to David, especially his stability and protection. Verse 4, I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Here, there we go. This has been David's life up to this point. He is constantly in the habit of calling to the Lord who's worthy to be praised, and God rescuing David and so in one sense this would be the pastoral advice here we need to be calling upon the Lord for rescue and he is worthy to be praised while we're calling and while we're waiting and he is able to rescue us from all of our enemies and so now he's going to describe uh, symbolically poetically his situation for the waves of death encompassed me the torrents of destruction assailed me the cords of shale entangled me the snares of death confronted me so four symbolic pictures here Waves, torrents, which would be like a flood, cords, which bind you up, cords of Sheol. So Sheol is their poetic name for the place of the dead and the snares of death. So snares being like rope tied around your ankle. So two water images, two cord images, all of them together, a threat that David is going to be bound up and killed. Verse seven, in my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I called from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. Now that's a little bit of an interesting way the temple hasn't been built yet. So is he talking about his heavenly temple? Is he talking about the tabernacle? Um, There you go. So God's response to this cry for deliverance. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. The smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down thick darkness was under his feet he rode on a cherub and flew and he was seen on the wings of the wind he made darkness around ra- around him his canopy thick clouds a gathering of water out of the brightness before him coals of fire flame forth the lord thundered from heaven the most high uttered his voice and he sent arrows and scattered them lightning and routed them then the channels of the sea were seen the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the lord at the blast of the breath Of his nostrils. So this is a very poetic picture like obviously God didn't have um, smoke coming out of his nose holes or fire coming out of his mouth. This is stylistic, this is poetic, this is symbolic and in one sense like if you push the imagery too far like it almost makes God look like terrible. Like you imagine seeing him with a face with smoke coming out of his nose or fire coming out. So this is very symbolic and the the word for anger um is connected with noses if i remember correctly it's like the word for nostril or something like when someone's face gets angry they flare their nostrils and so that's connected somehow so you can see how this is all connected fire is a picture of anger and wrath um and flaring your nostrils is a picture of anger. So that's why those words are there. And suddenly when David was feeling like, you know, water's coming after him, God is the one who's in control of water. He's making heaven's thunder. He's uh, opening up the channels of the sea. He the, the heavens are quaking. And so this is all symbolic imagery, but it's about God intervening in David's life to destroy armies to rescue him from the hand of Saul and ultimately to give uh, justice against Saul personally and to give rescue from the Philistines and to defeat the Philistines and so this imagery connects with God being the the creator of the universe he's in charge of fire he's in charge of water he's in charge of the armies of the earth so the creator has come down to protect David and all this imagery is working that same direction verse 17 he sent from on high and he took me He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So I really like uh, that line. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And that's going to be a bit of a transition there, but... As the Lord, uh, David calls on the Lord in his threatened situation, his vulnerable situation, God responds with power, um, as described with all this imagery. He comes and he rescues David. He draws him out of the water. He saves him from enemies. Um, he it proves himself to be David's support and rescues him and brings him into a, a safe place. And he says it's because he delighted in me. Now there's going to be this transition in verse 21 where he's going to start explaining kind of why God did this. And this is where it gets a little, it's true, but it's also not 100% true. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for he kept, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the clean li- cleanness, uh, my cleanness in His sight. So let's let's address this. There you need kind of two perspectives here. In one perspective, according to other kings, David. Far and away is the most faithful king. Compared to Saul, he's far and away a man after God's own heart and eager to be obedient and eager to trust and eager to keep God's ways. According to um, his own descendants, there was a few pretty good kings like Hezekiah or Josiah, but many of his own descendants are unbelieving and unfaithful. And God... Even in the New Testament says that he rewards people according to their deeds. And so there is this sense of God working with people according to um, their faith and unbelief, according to their righteousness and unrighteousness. And so David's saying, like, God, God's been so faithful to me because I've been so faithful to him. And, you know, 95% of the time this was true. Even in the book of Kings, it does say that David was a righteous man except for the matter of Bathsheba and so the prophet hundreds of years later is speaking on God's behalf saying yeah David was a righteous man he did he did keep himself clean he did obey my rules um, he was incredibly faithful and I delighted in him and I rewarded him for his righteousness and for his cleanness of sight but in the book of Samuel where this psalm is placed this psalm is comes after the outworking of David's failure as well and the consequences for his failure with David with Bathsheba and um, all the stuff that happened with Absalom because of this so as we read this and we recognize on a human perspective David was righteous compared to people in a divine perspective David still needed forgiveness and needed um, to be justified by faith because he was imperfect as well and so this points us towards the greater David. Much of the Old Testament is looking towards, uh, looking at great men and women of God, but looking towards the person who is even better than them. So uh, Moses was great, but we needed the second Moses, Jesus Christ. Joshua was great, but we needed the true Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Abraham was a man of faith. But we needed the son of Abraham to come and fulfill the promises to Abraham and bring us the Holy Spirit. And David was a great man and a great man of faith. But we were looking forward to one of his sons who would truly fulfill this righteousness that brings about the true blessing of God. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. That reminds us of Jesus saying, blessed are the merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. with the purified you'd deal purely and with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous which is a ten dollar college word that just means like tortuous means like going back on itself and roundabout and all wavy and it's like a a mountain road that keeps turning and turning and turning so when people are crooked god's way seems crooked to them Uh, and so there is this again david highlighting this this relationship with god where we have influence over our experience of God's relationship with him. And David's been super humble and very merciful. We proved that with all of the chesed he showed to Mephibosheth and how Saul was a crooked man and his way with the Lord became very tortuous. Verse 28, you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. I don't know if you remember when Hannah had her song in the beginning of 1 Samuel. There's that same idea of bringing down the haughty and exalting the humble. And so this is where you see that thematic connection to the beginning of the book. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. It's one of my favorite lines in all the Psalms. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all who take refuge in him. Let's just pause there. Um, Agur, in the end of Proverbs, picks up the same line. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all who take refuge in him. And when he picks it up, he's kind of claiming inspiration for his Proverbs, because this is a claim to inspiration by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord proves true, including the word that I'm bringing to you right now. And he's a shield to all those who take refuge in him. So how do you you get protected by God? You believe in his word, that proves true. God's word is refined, it's pure, it's good. God stands behind his word, not human words, but his own words. And when we believe in his word, he's a shield to those who believe in him. So David is really, in one sense, claiming inspiration for his Psalms as he writes these words. Verse 32. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. So he's giving God credit for even his righteousness, which is wonderful. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arm can bend the bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. What a great line. The gentleness of God made me great. Like God's willingness to have mercy and train and and be patient he's lifted me up and so here's david even after this claim to righteousness he's now turning around and giving glory to god who's done all this stuff so he's not arrogantly claiming righteousness he's claiming righteousness as a grace from god verse 37 you gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip i pursued my enemies and destroyed them i did and did not turn back until they were consumed so this reminds us of all of david's military victories Verse 39, I consumed them, I thrust them through so that they did not rise, they fell under my feet. And this also reminds us of Jesus' messianic victory that is coming at the end of time when he's going to destroy all the enemies of God. Verse 40, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. So that's very interesting there where David sees himself as the true uh, prayer warrior over against people who are calling on the Lord in unbelief or vainly, and they weren't rescued. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire in the streets. Verse 44. You delivered me from, my, from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I did not know served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortress ne- fortresses. So this, again, is a precursor to... Jesus is um, gathering the nations to himself, a man so exalted, uh, king of Israel so exalted that the nations come to him for protection. They humble themselves before him, and David saw a bit of that happening with the nations around him, people making covenants with him and serving him as he's the exalted king of Israel, but that's most fulfilled in Jesus Christ, as Jesus is exalted not over, not only over Israel, but over all the world, and the nations come to him with humility and knowing they need rescue. Verse 47 The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The Lord who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies, you exalted me above those who rose against me, and you delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed to David and his offspring forever. So you can see the psalm ends with this view to the offspring of David that the Davidic covenant is being remembered by David and in this book pointing again that the Davidic covenant is really the centerpiece of the existence of this book why we have it to remember that there is this son of David coming to rule over Israel. And uh, God is being remembered as this great deliverer who rescued David in this and Most likely with hope that this true son of David would really uh, fulfill the righteousness that David didn't do 100% and would inherit this victory that David had as kind of the first fruits of God's victory over sin and unbelieving nations. And this Lord that lives and is the rock of the son of David is going to spread his kingdom, his righteous kingdom, throughout the world through a son of David. I think that's the prophetic hope of having this psalm at the end of this book. Someday a true king is going to arise and God is going to give him victory, not only for Israel, but over the whole world and all the nations will come and find their peace with God by making peace with God's king. I think that's what's going on. So that wraps up. Um, This psalm went through pretty quick. I hope it was still a blessing. But you can kind of see how this psalm pulls together themes from throughout the book while giving a prophetic, hopeful view towards the future that God is going to do something even better than the days of David in the future of Israel and the church. And he did, which is our hope and our joy. Be blessed.